If you have your copy of the Word of God, I want to invite you to open up to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 28 will be at the end of, uh, of Matthew's Gospel account today. And we'll be looking at chapter 28, verses 1 through 20. But before we read from Scripture, let us turn our hearts to the Lord once again in prayer. Would you pray with me? Father, as we approach your word now, we ask God that you would speak to us. That you would lower our defenses. We ask God that you would remove our self-justification. And we ask, Lord, that you would teach us by the truth of your word and speak into our lives in this moment by the truth of your word, by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord God, that you would be magnified in this place today through your word today. And Lord, we pray that your joy, the joy of heaven would fall upon this place. And God, that you would you would cause us to be in in great joyful fellowship with you. And now, Lord, we pray that you would turn our minds towards you and our hearts to love your word and give us strength in our lives to live out your word faithfully. And Lord, I pray that the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth would be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, the title of the message is The Hope of Resurrection. And when we speak about hope, we don't speak about something that may or may not happen, right? We speak about the the hope that we talk about with with regard to the resurrection is the hope of that which is is certain. It's, It's not like hoping the saints have a winning season. It's nothing like that. It's like hoping and knowing for sure, for certain, that Christ Himself has risen. There is a certainty, 100% certainty. So when we speak this morning about the resurrection, we're speaking about certainty, about the hope of the resurrection. And so I want you to read with me from Matthew chapter 28, verse 1. If you found your place there, say amen. And follow along as I read. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to, went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him as I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. 
And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Matthew's account of the resurrection almost seems anticlimactic. Think about the days leading up to Christ's resurrection. The days just preceding Easter Sunday or Resurrection Sunday. Beginning Friday night or beginning Thursday night, Jesus was arrested in the garden. Then he was put on a mock trial. He was led through this trial. He was beaten. He was spit upon. He was mocked. And then his disciples, those who were closest to him, all of them abandoned him. In fact, Scripture records for us, all of them abandoned him except possibly one. It was John who was standing there by Mary. But Matthew shows us in his version or his storyline of the resurrection account that he is intentionally speaking and and giving us these details. He's, He's showing us how the resurrection declares to all of creation that Jesus is the one who he claimed to be. And he's showing us that his work on the cross accomplished exactly what he designed and desired for it to accomplish. Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection then does this. It brings peace between man and God. And so now, now he lives. He lives to be the faithful companion. He lives to fill our lives with joy. He lives to be the Lord and the master over all those who follow him. He lives to bring peace between man and God. And to all those who will respond to this great commission that he gives his disciples, he grants those to become his disciples. He grants those to have peace with God. And so my prayer this morning is that our hearts will rejoice in the certain and the eternal hope of Christ's resurrection. And secondly, that he will fill our lives. So fill our lives with the power of his spirit so that we, being filled with his Holy Spirit, might walk in joy and might walk in obedience to the call and the command of Christ in our lives. In the days prior to electronic communication and before we had a 24-hour news feed coming to, uh, to our nightstand, there, there was a day and time when news wasn't as quickly communicable across, across a nation. In fact, in, in the early 19th century, uh, England was at war. And the people were anxious. They were, they were waiting for news and the outcome of the Battle of Waterloo. 
British forces under General Wellington were facing off against the French forces under Napoleon. And a signalman was placed on the top of, uh, of Winchester Cathedral, and he had instructions. The instructions were simple. Look out over the sea, keep a lookout, and watch for the ship that's coming in. But there was one problem. The fog was growing more dense hour by hour. And so the signalman was looking out, and as he was looking out over the sea, he began to see a ship, and he began to receive a message. And the message that began to come in, the first word that he saw was Wellington. The second word that he saw was defeated. And then the fog closed in. We see what was supposed to happen is he was on top looking out, and as he received the signal, he would turn, and he would, he would also relay this signal to a man who was on a hill. And then the man on the hill would turn and relay the signal to another man on the hill, ultimately until word would reach London and then would spread all across Britain. And on this particular day, Wellington defeated was the word that he received. And he turns and relays this message, and this message spreads across the land and gloom and Despair also spread across the land. This was a tragic message for the people of England. But after a few hours, the fog lifted. And when the fog lifted, the signalman once again saw the ship. And then he saw the message coming through again. And the message said, Wellington defeated the enemy. And so he turns and he relays this signal once again. And and the man on the hill catches the signal and he begins to relay it. They relay it with urgency all across the land. And the people's response was much different, as you can imagine. They responded with great joy. They they responded with, with, with partying and celebrating. I think what we see here in Matthew 28 is that Jesus' crucifixion on Friday was only partial or part of the message. And Matthew 28, 1 through 10, shows us what happens after the fog has lifted. There's no more fog. The, The darkness of night is gone. The hour of power for darkness has fled. And what we see in Matthew 28, 1 through 10, is we see the empty tomb where our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ has been resurrected. And so Mary and Mary, the two Marys, they arrive at the empty tomb. And when they arrive at the empty tomb, they see something that is greatly unexpected. And they experience something they didn't expect to experience there's an earthquake and an angel descends from heaven and in this earthquake the stone the angel rolls the stone away from the covering of the tomb now this certainly was a unexpected event as they showed up at the tomb but i want us to see this morning that the new day for mary for the disciples the new day brings the dawning of a new hope I want us to see that this morning for Resurrection Sunday is a day of of all days that points us to the hope of Christ's resurrection. It points us to this hope of truth that death was defeated. Sin was conquered. Death, the power of death and, and sin and bondage could not hold Christ in the grave. But he overcame sin and death 
He overcame it and he victoriously walked out of the tomb. And so Christ himself has broken the bondage chains of sin for our humanity. And in doing so, he has ransomed our souls at the price of his blood, his life. And so this day of all days is a day to be celebrated. It's a day for the disciples of Christ to be full of joy as we have already been praying for this morning. So when they arrive at the tomb, this earthquake begins to shake. The angel descends, rolls the stone away, and then he sits down on the stone. One man made a statement in contrasting this text, or comparing, rather, this text with Matthew 27, verse 51. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. And we get here when Jesus comes out of the grave. So when when Jesus goes, dies, and he's being put into the grave, so to speak, the earth shakes, and there's this earthquake. And then when he raises from the grave, there's also an earthquake. And this writer said, the earth which trembled with horror at the death of Christ, as it were, leaped for joy at the resurrection. (laughs) We see even literally that the very earth shook when Christ came forth out of the grave. So I want us to see this morning that the dawning of hope, I think what we see here in verses four and five or three through five, the the dawning of hope brings fear and brings comfort. I want you to follow me here. It brings fear and comfort. First, we see the appearance of the angel. Matthew describes his appearance in verse three. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing was white as snow. What's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about lightning? Bolt. (laughs) Bold. Bright. Flash. Swift. Powerful. Uncontainable. Raw. Power. You can't harness lightning. Or what about when we think of clothing as white as snow? Purity. Cleanliness. Holiness. Right? Maybe even foreshadowing of the resurrection and the glory of Christ. This is the description that Matthew gives us of the supernatural being, the angel that comes down to announce Christ's resurrection. But I want you to know that the reason the angel rolled the stone away, it wasn't so that Jesus could come out of the tomb. It was so that the women could go into the tomb and see that it was empty. For Christ has already came out of the tomb supernaturally, Christ was resurrected from the grave. He conquered sin. He conquered death. He he came and he lived a sinless life and he rose from the grave after he died a sinner's death. So the angel says in verse 6, come and see the place where they have laid him. Come see the place where he lay. The angel tells us, or Matthew tells us rather, that There were guards there, and the women were there. And they had two very different responses to this messenger that was sent by God. The first one, the guards, we see that they were fearful, right? And this is where I want us to to make this connection. The dawning of hope brings fear and brings comfort. The guards were fearful. They trembled. It says, in fact, they became like dead men. Why were they so fearful? Think about these 
this angel that appears and the fear that would have been struck in their hearts. They were, they were fearful and they trembled and they became like dead men. They literally had no response. But then in verse 5, we see that the angel quickly says to the women, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. I think Matthew wants us to see those who align themselves against Christ have reason to fear. But those who come seeking Christ will be comforted. This is the eternal reality that we we need to see from the gospel. These guards were fearful because they were they were wicked. We see later in the text they're even involved in a scheme to cover up Christ's resurrection, to falsify the resurrection of Christ. And so Matthew wants us to see this. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you aligned yourself against Christ? Or today have you come seeking Christ, seeking to to glorify Christ? Second truth I want us to see from this text this morning in verses 1 through 10 is the dawning of hope brings good news. Not only does the dawning of hope bring fear for some and comfort for others, the dawning of hope brings good news, and this is the hope of the gospel. The good news is that the tomb is empty and that Jesus himself is alive. In verses 5 and 6, we're offered another contrast. Though Jesus was crucified, he isn't dead, he's alive, he's risen. Look at what he says in verse Uh, Verse 5, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who, what, was crucified. Verse 6, he is not here, for he has risen. He's not here, he's risen. This is just as Jesus has said. In Matthew 16, 21, Jesus has already spoken to his disciples. In fact, after his disciples had made this great declaration where Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, Jesus began to teach his disciples where he was heading. It says from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. He repeats this in Matthew 17, 23, in Matthew 20, 19. And in verses 7 and 8, the angel says, Go quickly and tell his disciples. Go tell them this good news. And it says the women departed with urgency. And it characterizes their departure as being with fear and with joy. But I want you to notice something. The fear that these women have, it's not the same kind of fear that the guards have have the fear that the women have the fear that describes these women is a is a a fear of awe they're amazed at everything that's unfolding before them I mean think about if you're a follower of Jesus you've just witnessed his death you're coming to the tomb perhaps to bring some burial ointment and then you see that stone rolled away an angel has descended there's been an earthquake And now all of a sudden, the tomb is empty. And so these women, they're they're stunned by the angelic appearance, by the earthquake, by the two guards who appeared as dead man. They're stunned by the message of the angel, the the urgency that they're commissioned to, to go and to share with the disciples. And they're also stunned asking this question, if Jesus isn't here, where is he? We haven't seen him. We see that he's not here, but where is he? 
so for these women, I can imagine there was uncertainty of the future. Not sure about what all this really means. But then it also says these women were characterized by joy. Though things were uncertain, they're recognizing all of the hopes that they have in Christ. All of these hopes are coming true. They're starting to happen, but but in a much greater way. Jesus' prediction of his resurrection has come true. Jesus is alive. In fact, verse 9 tells us that the women, as they're going, Jesus greets them and they fall down, grabbing at his feet, worshiping him. I think Matthew gives us this detail for, for at least two reasons. Two I want to suggest to us this morning. One is we see the heart of these women as they're coming to Jesus, worshiping him. They fall at his feet, desiring to worship him. But secondly, I think Matthew gives it to us just to highlight the physical, bodily resurrection of Christ. That he truly did rise from the dead. That he no longer was there in the tomb. He wasn't just spiritually resurrected as some claim. No, he was physically resurrected with a physical body. And they were able to touch his feet and they were able to worship him. So Jesus tells them. Go. And tell my disciples, tell my brothers in verse 10. What I want us to see this morning, church, is the urgency that gripped the hearts of these women ought to grip our hearts. This urgency ought to be the same for us that we would go and share the good news of Christ's resurrection. This urgency ought to be deep within us. And so I want to ask us this morning, are we excited about the resurrection of Christ? Believer, are you excited to share the good news and the hope of the gospel of Christ's resurrection? Are you excited to share this good news with people who are in your life that God has placed in your life? Are you sharing this good news? If you're not, enter into the joy of your master and share the good news of his resurrection. Thirdly, I want us to see the dawning of hope brings restoration. I think this is important for us to see. Verse 10, Peter and the disciples, they had deserted Jesus. They had failed miserably. Peter denied knowing Jesus three times. And he left the courtyard and wept bitterly. And when Jesus was being crucified, John alone stood there with Mary at the foot of the cross By all accounts, Jesus had been abandoned by those who were closest to him during the time of his greatest suffering and greatest need. But I want you to notice what Jesus says to the women. He tells them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers. I think these were comforting words for the disciples when they heard it. Go and tell my brothers. After their denial and abandonment, Jesus still calls them brothers. What a statement of restoration. He would still call them as part of his family. After such an epic failure on the disciples' part, they needed to be reassured that Christ was for them and he was not against them. And by restoring the disciples, Jesus shows that the love he demonstrated on the cross was true love for their good and for God's glory. And so this morning, if you're not a disciple of Christ, if you don't know 
who Jesus is in the sense of personally relating to Christ. Then I want to invite you this morning to consider the reality that Matthew's gospel puts forth. That Christ's crucifixion truly happened and that his crucifixion and resurrection can be the dawning of a new hope for you this morning. Jesus conquered sin and death to redeem you, me, all of us from sin. And if you'll surrender to Christ today, he'll set you free from bondage to sin and he'll give you peace with God. Believer, if you've experienced epic failure of sin against God, against Christ, hear the words of Jesus to his disciples and let them sink in. Know that you're part of the family of God and repent of your sin and turn and be restored to Christ, your risen Savior. Peter and the disciples are restored to Christ in a magnificent way. Because the grace of Christ covers our sin. And he forgives us so that we might walk in the joy and the hope of eternal life. Secondly, this morning, there was an attempted cover up. We see this in verses 11 through 15. And the ultimate question for our lives and for the Christian faith is this. Did Jesus Christ rise from the dead? Because as 1 Corinthians 15 says, if Christ didn't rise from the dead, then we of all people are most to be pitied. And so this passage tells us as as early as the day of Christ's resurrection, his adversaries have been seeking to deny or to cover up the historical fact of Christ's resurrection. But notice the guards didn't even deny the empty tomb. Instead, they went to the chief priest and the the rulers in the city and they gave them an account of everything that had happened that day. And then they accepted a bribe and and a scripted cover-up. You see, throughout the centuries, there have been numerous theories that have tried to falsify the resurrection of Christ. All of them, all of them are left wanting when challenged. And I won't take the time to go through all of them this morning, but some of the primary ones that are put forth today is Jesus didn't actually die on the cross. He was just hurt very badly. Then he was laid in the tomb. The stone was then rolled away and he was able to come out of the tomb. Another one that's put forth is the wrong tomb theory that the women went to the wrong tomb. They actually didn't even go to the right tomb. They went to the wrong one. Another theory is the disciples stole the body of Jesus. In fact, this is what the Jewish authorities put forth in verses 11 through 15. And one more, the disciples were delusional. In their deep grief, they just imagined that they saw a vision of the resurrected Christ. But there's one thing that all the gospel accounts have in common in the resurrection narrative and that is they all focus on the empty tomb they all focus on the supernatural announcement of christ's resurrection and they all focus on jesus appearing to the disciples 
And so I want to submit to you this morning that to imagine a storyline that would be made up by 11 guys regarding Christ's resurrection, and then that they would convince hundreds of others to claim that they too saw the resurrected of Christ, resurrection, the resurrected Christ. I, I want to submit to you that that's simply implausible. But if you add to that the fact that 10 of the 11 men lost their lives for preaching the good news of Christ's resurrection throughout the known world, I think the suggestion moves from being implausible to simply insane. I submit to you this morning that Jesus did die on the cross, get put into the tomb, and then rise from the grave, from the dead, as Scripture says. And I think we stand here today, along with some two billion people worldwide, proclaiming the gospel of truth that Jesus died by crucifixion, and on the third day, he rose again in bodily form. Then he ascended into heaven where he sits at the Father's right hand, fulfilling Daniel 7, 13, and 14, with all authority submitted under him, and he reigns supremely, and he rules supremely. And in the midst of his walk and journey on this earth, he looked at his sinful humanity and he had compassion upon them and he suffered a sinner's death that he might make a substitutionary payment that would be for our lives to bring us into peace with God. This is the hope of the gospel. That is the hope of what Christ himself has accomplished through the cross. And then, then he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell his people, to lead the church, to call us to engage in mission, to take this very gospel message and to spread it among all creation, to all nations, to all people groups. And so the hope of the resurrection, it gives us peace with God. And the hope of the resurrection fuels the mission of the church. I want to close with verses 16 through 20. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had directed them. Probably a mountain that was a familiar spot for he and the disciples as Jesus would teach the disciples. And Jesus goes in verse 17, he meets them there and it says, They worshipped him, but some doubted. Some doubted at first. Some of his disciples doubted at first when they saw him, but the others, they worshipped him. And in these last five verses of Matthew's gospel, Jesus gives the disciples what's known as the Great Commission. And I want us to see this morning that the disciples' commission is our commission, church. This is our commission that was given to the disciples and to us, the church's commission. Matthew ends his gospel this way as if to say, here are the grand implications of Christ's resurrection. And these implications are to be lived out in and through the church, his body. The first one I want you to see this morning is this. We are to live under the authority of Christ. We are to live under the authority of Christ. Now this is for the church. Verse 18, he says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What does Jesus mean when he says all authority has been given to me? 
Matthew is careful to point out throughout his gospel account from the beginning to the end here that Jesus has been demonstrating the authority that he has, the authority that belongs to him. He's demonstrated in Matthew 4, 20 and 22, authority over people. In 8, 6, authority over paralysis. In 9.22 and 14.36, authority over illness and disease. In 9.30, authority over blindness and in leprosy. In, in, in chapter 8, verse 3, in chapter 8, 26 and 27, he's demonstrated authority over the wind and the water. And in chapter 9, verse 2, he's demonstrated authority over sin. He's demonstrated authority over demons in 8.31, over nature in 21.19 when he cursed the fig tree, over history in 26.64, over all mankind in chapter 7, verse 23. And then here in Matthew 28, 1-10, Matthew shows us that he possesses authority even over death and life giving us resurrection. So how does the authority of Christ relate then to the church? The authority of Jesus, the authority that he possesses, is all authority, giving him the right to control and command all things. There is no authority then that falls outside of his control. And Paul even tells us in Ephesians 1.22, And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. And so we see that we as a church are to live under the authority of Christ. And it's this authority of Christ in which he calls the disciples and gives them this great commission. And I want us to see, secondly, that we are commissioned to make disciples by the power of Christ in verses 9 through 19 through 20. You see, the church living under authority of Christ is commissioned with the authority of Christ. Question is, what are we commissioned to do, church? And the answer is, we are commissioned In verse verse 19 and 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Based upon this hope and resurrection power and authority, we are called to go into all the nations and to make disciples of all nations. Christ has given authority and he has handed that authority to the church and he oversees the church. And this is the main mission. Our main mission church is is to go to all people groups. Not necessarily just nations as we think of nations, but there are many people groups even within nations. And the word there, it is the word for people groups. It's the word to describe all of the different tongues of of people. And Christ says that we are to go into all the world making this gospel known. And here's the thing. He gives us the authority and he gives us the power to go and to make this gospel known. This work begins in our homes. It, it goes into the workplace where we, where we work and it goes into the city in which we live and it goes to the remotest parts of the world. And here's what we do. We, we mobilize our people. We mobilize our money to this end. We use all of our resources to carry out this objective. And this objective is the one that Christ himself has authorized. This is the work of the gospel. It is to go into all nations, sharing and proclaiming the gospel of Christ. So there are two parts. One, 
We tell people who don't know Jesus about Jesus. We tell people who don't know the hope of the resurrection about the hope of the resurrection and how the hope of the resurrection has transformed and changed our lives. And then know this, when we do that, it will involve baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because when we do that, this is the work of evangelism, right? We are proclaiming the gospel. People are being converted to Christ. And then the next step in their conversion is to be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, our our triune God. And it is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a person that causes them to be drawn to Christ. And so if, if the Lord is drawing you this morning for the first time, don't deny the voice of God within you. Don't deny the Holy Spirit of God speaking in your heart this morning if He is drawing you. And secondly, it involves teaching. It involves teaching them to observe, he says, all that I've commanded you. This is the lifelong process for the disciple of Christ, growing into the image of Christ, learning God's word and applying it into our lives. We teach others how to live for Christ and to spread the gospel. And we teach one another, we encourage one another, we admonish one another, we exhort one another in living out the gospel. And hear the promise in verse 20. Behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Right? When we pray, we don't pray, God, be with me. No, God is with us. We pray, God, lead us. God, make me sensitive to your prompting. Make me sensitive to your leading. God is with his people. Jesus Christ is alive. And because he is alive, we can know that our lives are guarded by Christ and we are filled by Christ and he leads us and directs us. So he calls us, he equips us, he provides for the mission. And he is authority. And under his authority, he has called us to live. Let me ask you this morning. Has the fog been lifted from your eyes for the first time today? Do you sense your need for the resurrected Savior? Is he calling you to surrender your life to him for the very first time? I'm going to pray for you in a moment. If that's you, I want to invite you to surrender your life to Jesus today. You simply must repent of your sin And cry out in confession to Christ that you believe he is the truly resurrected, he is the resurrected Savior. Believer, if the Lord has convicted you this morning of sin in your life, I want to encourage you to repent today. I want to invite you to enter into the joy of Christ, our master, the resurrected Lord. Let us today labor together in living out the gospel under Christ's authority. So here's the question for you, believer. How are you responding to Christ's great commission? And how is the hope of Christ filling your lives? What are we doing with the hope that he has placed within us? Let me pray for us and you respond as the Lord leads. Father, this morning. We are thankful for the grace that you've extended to us in Christ, our Savior. We are thankful for the joy of of resurrection, hope, a certainty which we are assured of from your word, from your power, and from our Lord's authority over all things. This morning, if there are anyone 
who is desiring to surrender their life to you, I pray, God, that you would strengthen them to confess their sin even now, to repent of their sin and to turn from it. And to surrender their lives, confessing that you are Lord. That you, Lord Jesus, are the resurrected Christ, the Messiah, the promised one who has died for their sin and redeemed them with the price of your own blood. Lord, for the believers this morning who maybe are struggling like the disciples were in need to experience restoration. I pray, God, that you would restore their soul today. Fill them with joy. Cause them, Lord, to look unto you and to be delighted in the hope that you give us. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand this morning?